Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. In a previous episode, I shared part one of a conference talk that I recently gave at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I attempt to address what is beneath our culture's sickness and argue that the loss of a sense of purpose is a primary contributor. When we lose an objective basis for truth and purpose, then our world becomes meaningless and valueless. This episode will continue in my talk on the problem of purpose and consider how Christianity can provide a solution to the problem. Remember, if you enjoy this content, I also have a new article out at Boundless on the same topic, and you can find the link to that article in the show notes. Before we dive into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list if you have not done so already, so that you can get all the latest content sent directly into your inbox. Visit the link in the show notes, and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you're subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all future episodes right in your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review and shared the show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This will only take a minute of your time, and when you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Lastly, let me remind you to send in your questions, reflections, or other feedback. I love hearing from you guys, and I plan on choosing select messages to interact with on future bonus episodes. You can send in your message through the link in the show notes, leave a comment on YouTube or uh, on social media. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into part two of the problem of purpose. How does the gospel offer us hope for a full life? Let's consider the full life. Whenever Sagan said those words, as, as Cos- whenever he started Cosmos in the book and in the TV series, whenever he said those words that the cosmos is all there is or ever was or ever will be, he, like I said before, was making a philosophic statement, not a scientific statement. He was making a philosophical statement, but he was also doing something else very subtle. That I, I, I think as apologist, what I said before didn't surprise anybody. Y'all knew that. But I think he also did something else that is a little bit more subtle that we don't take note of quite as often. What he did in his philosophical statement was he also subtly offered a new definition of the term cosmos. Because Murray said the cosmos is all there ever is, or all is, ever was, or ever will be. And he was framing the term cosmos in a purely naturalistic, materialistic sense and saying that since it all that there is, the cosmos is just the world of material things. The cosmos is atoms and molecules and rocks and trees and mountains and skin and hair and so on. And that is all that it is. He was actually offering us and giving us one that I think we adopted a new definition and understanding of the word cosmos. Because like I said before, what he meant by it was the material world and only the material world. Whereas if we place this word cosmos in its historical and philosophical um, context, we understand that it actually meant something quite different. Once again, it might be just a subtle change, but it makes quite a big difference. It, make, it carries a, a lot more different implication. 
the word comes, being a Greek word, it comes from Greek, and it comes from this ancient, uh, th- this idea that was held among many of the ancient Greek philosophers, including Plato and others, an understanding of this word cosmos that carried a lot more nuance. Whenever they said the word cosmos, they did mean, like us, the, the material world. They meant the world. They meant the heavens, the stars, and uh, they meant the, the, the climate, the weather, animal life. They did mean all those things, but it also came along with this nuance. Whenever they said cosmos, it carried the nuance of an ordered and harmonious world. Because the ancient Greek philosophers, looking at the world around them without the revelation of Scripture and without the foundation of, of, of God and, and Yahweh, they yet still looked at the world around them and saw that in spite of the apparent chaos that there is in the world, it is incredibly ordered. It is incredibly harmonious. They, they looked around at the heavens and the earth, and they saw how everything, though they couldn't understand why, they, they hadn't found why, everything seemed to have its place. Everything, you, you know, there, there's dogs, and they act like dogs, and they do what dogs are supposed to do, and, and birds do what birds are supposed to do. It seems as though they were, uh, they were like made to fly, and that's what they do, they fly. And they even looked at society, and, and they understood that, you know, that there are fathers and mothers, and they make children, and that whenever there are certain, whenever those relationships operate in a certain way that it leads to flourishing, and, and, and they could broaden that out into society and so on. So whenever they said cosmos, they meant a lot more than just the material things, right? They meant that they, they looked around and saw, wow, there's a lot of order. There's a lot of seemingly design and intention behind the world that we live in. This is the nuance that it carried. They looked around and they said, everything has its design and has its purpose. That word being telos. Everything had its purpose, its telos. What they meant by that was everything has its end, right? A, a hammer has the purpose, the telos, of smashing things. If you try to use, look, I'm no contractor and I'm no handyman, but I know this. If you try to use a hammer to screw in a screw, it's not going to go well. All right, it's not going to work. But if you use a hammer and nail, or to smash a piggy bank, or whatever else you do with hammers, uh, then it works really well because it was designed for that end, for that telos. A blender is really, really good at blending things because it was designed for that telos, for that end. This is the kind of thinking that that went behind the Greeks' understanding of this cosmos having purpose. Having a design, it seems as though everything has a telos. Like I said before, the dog acts like a dog, the bird acts like a bird, and, 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 and so on and so forth. What this meant was for them, they assumed that since this, the cosmos had order and harmony, there must be a divine transcendent rationality behind everything which gives the cosmos its order, and this they called the logos. Luke Ferry, that same philosopher I referenced earlier said this about the, their looking at the cosmos and so on. He said they were convinced that a logical order, this logos, was at work behind the apparent chaos of things, and that human reason was able to discern the divine character of the universe. So they looked around at a world that was full of order, harmony, and they said, this place is full of purpose. And they said, therefore, there must be something that gives this place its purpose and gives everything in it its telos, its end. This is what they meant whenever they looked around and said, cosmos. You see how radically different that is from what Sagan said 
by cosmos and by, here's why it's so important, by what everyone in America and the West today thinks when they say cosmos. Because Sagan's definition is the definition for nearly everyone, including a lot of Christians today. A lot of people who, do, who, who yet claim to believe in the scriptures. They don't look around at a world filled with purpose and meaning, but a place that just kind of got here. Maybe God had something to do with it, maybe he didn't. We have moved from an assumption of the world as fundamentally ordered to chaotic, from purpose to accident, from meaningful to absurd. Because this idea that the Greeks had of the cosmos and the logos, it wasn't unique to them. It's the same view of the world held by Scripture, except Scripture has the revelation of God, which gives us the full sufficient answer for why the world has the ordered and harmonious nature that it does. And we do not have just a rationality, but the Scriptures tell us who was intending the purpose and tell us of all things. So that's the assumption that we move to and what happened. But what's the relevance of all this to the problem of purpose? Well, just consider this, how it changes your orientation and place in the universe with this change in understanding of the kind of universe that we live in. The ancients, including the the Christian scriptures, like I already mentioned, had a different concept of happiness than us. They didn't just have a different concept of the cosmos, but they also had a different concept of happiness than we do. Because what they considered was that if everything in the cosmos has its harmonious purpose in place, then people are happiest when living within that order. In other words, people are happiest wherever they, within our ordered world, within our purposeful world, discover what is their telos, what is their purpose, and then happiness comes through living within that. In other words, happiness comes whenever we try to, uh, uh, in the way that the Greeks would have thought about it, whenever we try to discover and discern that logos that is behind all things and working through all things and then figure out what is our place in it. So happiness was found not in the pursuit of pleasure or not in the pursuit of happiness, as we say, but happiness was found in the pursuit of purpose. J.P. Moreland explained it this way. He said, according to the ancients, happiness is a life well lived, a life of virtue and character a life that manifests wisdom, kindness, and goodness. For them, the life of happiness uh, was the life about which to dream and fantasize, for which to hunger and seek, that should be imitated and practiced. It is a life of virtue and character. And so, if happiness comes through the pursuit of purpose, finding our end, our telos, within the logos of the world— Where do we find that kind of purpose that we need? The gospel, Christianity tells us that we find it in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John wrote this. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what John was doing there? Maybe some of you guys have been taught this before in a class or in church. What John was doing, whatever he said, in the beginning was the word, was he, was he was using the Greek term logos. In the beginning was the logos. He says it, the logos was God and it was with God. What, what John was doing was he was intentionally using this word, because he could have used others, but he was intentionally using this word, borrowing from it all the nuance that the Greeks 
had, had, had with it and all that they had put their hopes in and all of their understanding of it. And he was saying, yes, there is a divine intention. Yes, there is a, an orderer behind the cosmos. But then he says this in verse 14. He said, but this logos, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. If our purpose is to be found in the logos, what John tells us is that our purpose is to be found in Christ. The Greeks thought that our purpose was to be discovered by finding our place within the telos, the end, the purposeful intention of the logos. What the Bible tells us is that our purpose is to be discovered within the plans of Jesus in a relationship with him. Later on in John, in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Once again, in Matthew chapter 16, and before what I read you earlier, he says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. The kind of life that we need, the source of purpose and meaning that we need in our lives, is to be found in Jesus Christ. This is what he is telling us, and he's telling us how to find it here in Matthew chapter 16. How we can have that life and have it in abundance where we know that we are here for a reason. When we know that there is a purpose for our lives that justifies our existence. And we know that what we are doing here actually matters. That your presence on this earth, that your presence in this classroom, and that everything you do, it matters. And it has significance. Jesus tells us how to find that. And now for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. He says, but whoever who loses his life because of me will save it or we'll find it. But what does that mean? I've read that passage a lot of times before, and I've heard it many times. But if you stop and really question it, it's a little odd. It's kind of a strange statement that Jesus says. It seems uh, like an oxymoron. He says, whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Well, what does it mean to lose your life to find it? Here's what it means. It means that when you turn from self, when you turn from sin, when you turn from modern happiness, when you turn from your own self-determined meanings, when you turn from your own self-determined uh, ethics and morality, when you turn away from trying to fill up yourself and find the abundant life in the empty pleasures of the world, when we turn from all those things and then turn to him, he gives us true life. He gives us true life. He gives us a new life. He gives us what the New Testament calls eternal life. I'm sure you guys know, in the New Testament, whenever it talks about eternal life, it means more than just forever life, right? We often think of eternal life that's offered to us in the gospel as just living but longer, <laughs> like living but it doesn't stop. It's forever life. But that's, that's not all that Jesus meant and that the New Testament means whenever it talks about the eternal life that we are offered. It's not just talking about a forever life. But it is talking about an infinitely better quality of life. It is a kind of life 
that once you experience it and once you receive it and once it fills your soul, it is so much more filling and it is so much more a type of being alive that the only comparison to it in our life before was that we were dead. This is what it means whenever Jesus says that we will find life is the eternal life that he offers, the one that is truly fulfilling. It is the true country, like Lewis talked about, that we were made for, that nothing on this earth could satisfy. It is in Jesus. But how do we get it? Why do we get it? Why is it offered to us if we just lose ourselves? Because Jesus denied himself. Because Jesus denied himself, when we deny self and turn to him, we will receive life. Because whenever Jesus denied himself, he did not receive life, but he instead received death. Whenever Jesus denied himself in the garden of Gethsemane and at Calvary, he received the condemnation that we should have received for our sin. He received the consequences that we should have received for breaking God's law, for determining our own sense of meaning and purpose, for living for ourselves, for placing ourselves where only God should be, for for pretending as though we lived in a closed system where there is no uh, Lord sitting as king over it all. Jesus, when he denied himself, received the death that we should have received so that now whenever we deny self and go to him at his cross, since he bore the cross, Now, the cross that we receive from him is one that does not come with death, but comes with life. It comes with life, life everlasting, in the sense of it being forever, but also abundantly, as he said, as one which is so much better that the only comparison to anything else would be to be dead. This is why we get it. So how do we live it? This sounds great. I want it. I hope you guys want it. If we get that gift... What does it mean to live that kind of a life right now? Here's what J.P. Moreland says. He said, it is to become what it, what it means to live right, uh, that kind of life. He says, it is to become like Jesus himself and have a character that manifests the radical nature of the kingdom of God and the fruit of the Spirit. It is to find out God's purposes for one's life and to fulfill those purposes in a Christ-honoring way. That's the abundant life that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. The abundant life offered to us in Jesus is not one where there is just a lot more of all the things that we already liked on this earth. It doesn't mean that there's riches offered to us. It doesn't mean that there's newer, finer foods and and drinks. It doesn't mean anything like that. The full life that we are offered is this. It's a relationship with him. It's a relationship with him. And then in that relationship, receiving, knowing, being told that we have a purpose that we are created with intention and our life matters. And as long as he stands risen from the grave, no matter what suffering comes into your life, that source of purpose cannot be taken away. Unless there could be something that could suck Christ back into the grave and roll the stone over it, there is nothing in this world that can take away your source of purpose. And then secondly, he has given you a charge. He has given you a mission. What is your mission? Specifically, it's going to look different person to person, but generally they're quite the same. It is to, through relationship with him and participation with his Holy Spirit, become the kind of people which we're always meant to be by looking more and more like him, like Jesus Christ. Like I said before, Jesus gives us the steps to living a life of purpose and meaning, a full life in the verses that I read before. And he gives us, whenever he said, 
um, where we, oh, it's on this page, where he said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In there is the steps. Those are the keys to living a life of meaning and purpose in the gospel. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me give you what is the two general steps. The first one is denial of the self. We've already talked about that. Denial of the self. Turn away from trying to live your life and satisfy those desires with what the world tells you you ought to. Turn away from living as though you are the king or queen of your own kingdom. And you're trying to bring this kingdom into fruition and reality or actualization on this earth. Turn away from those things. That's what Jesus says. He says to deny yourself. But then he says this, to take up your cross. To take up your cross. What does that mean? To take up our cross and to follow after him. I think that we often consider, I'm gonna, you can disagree with me on this, but I'm, this is what I'm going to put forward. I'm going to assert I think that we often read that passage and we see Jesus say those three things. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. And we think that the first two mean the same thing and that the third one's different. Whereas I want to argue that it's actually the second two that are meant to go together. There's the denial of the self. But picking up our cross does not mean death for us because Jesus died our death on his cross. What he means by taking up our cross is it is the... It is the uh, process of following him. It is the responsibility that we bear to follow him. Jesus's purpose from the Father was to carry the cross that meant death, that meant condemnation. Our responsibility in calling from him is to pick up the cross that means discipleship, obedience, repentance, and so on. Taking up your cross. This is not just adding a religious layer to your life. It means redefining everything in terms of following Christ. I think that we often consider our life as, I put it this way, as, as a pie. Okay, you got your pie, and it's divided into all the different pieces. And you've got your work, you've got your church, you've got your hobbies, family, and whatever else. You fill up the pie with all the things that define your life. And we often consider, and maybe even tell people, that becoming a Christian kind of just means like you now you just got to add a new slice to the pie that says Jesus. <laughs> that says Jesus or that says church or Bible reading or whatever else. So maybe it's a couple slices that you add to the pie, but there's still all those lines and everything else. But following Christ, taking up your cross, does not just mean, mean adding that religious layer or that religious piece. It means pulling out those boundaries, pulling out those divisions putting Christ at the center, and now he saturates and redefines it all. This is what Christ means, and this is what it means to follow after Jesus. Another way that I like to think of it, and and what it means to be transformed by him and to pursue righteousness, is, uh, you know, I'm not a great artist. Actually, I'm a terrible artist. That was an understatement. I'm a terrible artist. I, I can barely draw stick figures. But whenever I was a kid, I hated, so I hated coloring. I hated everything else. But there was one thing that I found that I kind of liked. That was tracing. Have you ever done tracing before? You take a picture, and then you put a sheet of paper over it, and you, you go over the lines. And it's kind of fun, and it's like, it's like pretend art for us who are bad at art. And so I loved doing tracing because I felt like, oh, okay, I, I could actually do this, and actually I can make something that, that, that looks nice. Picking up your cross and following Jesus is a lot like placing your life over his. And at first, it's a big mess. The lines do not match at all. 
And where he's got straight lines, you've got curves, and where he's got circles, you've got straight lines and so on. And the pro- but you take up your cross every day, and this line kind of starts to get closer to that one. And then slowly where there was this big line going over here, it's erased, and then now it follows in with Jesus's. But in slowly over time, where there was once a mess and chaos over the course of your life, and it takes years and decades, slowly and slowly, our image starts to match Jesus's image. This is God's purpose for your life. And here's what's happening. There's actually Jesus's image, what you're doing right now, and there's an image in the middle. And do you know what that is? It is who God always intended that you would be. It is the you freed from sin. It is the you without all of your past mistakes and failures. It is the you who, uh, who, who looks like Jesus, who is still you, who is not just receiving righteousness that covers, it on the, covers us on the outside, but is actually righteous and holy. And so as we go through our life of daily picking up our cross, what God is doing is he is helping us to fulfill our purpose, to turn us into the kind of people that he always uh, determined and that he wanted us to be fulfilling the reason for why we exist, for why he made us. How do we do this? We do it through picking up our cross and following after Jesus. It's ordering your world according to God's meaningful structure, the kingdom. I think in Christianity and church, I know I'm not the first person to talk about finding meaning and purpose in in God or in Christ, but I think what we often miss is helping us understand practically day-to-day what it means right and how to get it and how to experience it because we're really afraid of talking about this responsibility i think that's the missing piece that we've that we've been searching for and why this message has been falling on so many deaf ears or there's just been landing flat for so many people to sum it up in one word was what, what how do we experience meaning in our lives by following christ by accepting the responsibilities that we have that come with following him, by accepting the responsibilities that we have that come with him being our king, savior, and Lord. It means obedience to God. It means obedience and responsibility to the obligations of being a citizen in his kingdom. It is through doing these things and then doing them in the specific ways that he has called you in your life that we discover our purpose for which we were made and we experience a meaning that cannot be taken away. Once again, purpose and meaning discovered in God is discovered in God and lived out in relationship with him. This is the true country for which we were made. So what we need to do in recognizing this is we must commit ourselves to, to that person, not just to a, an idea or creation of our own, but to that person in whom we find our purpose. And then persevere in the calling that he places on our lives persevere in taking up that cross and, and, and bearing it every day. Remembering, what does that mean? It means living out the responsibilities and obligations that he has placed on us day by day. Doing these things and then and the becoming uh, stronger people, becoming people with sharp minds and warm hearts and broad shoulders that come with carrying our cross day by day. And as we do so, we continue to climb the ascending path towards God based on the unshakable promise that we have in the gospel, despite setbacks, despite failures, 
Despite whenever you sin and, and, and your heart that is prone to wander goes away. In spite of persecution, in spite of a culture that continues to turn against us, we pick up the cross and we climb the path. We obey God. And in this, we discover a meaningful life. Let me close with this beautiful quote from the valiant mouse, Reapy Cheap, in C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. It's the kind of spirit that I hope that we have and the kind of life in which we experience a meaning that suffering cannot take away. Reapy Cheap said, While I can, I sail east in the Dawn Shredder. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast. <laughs>